Well, we are in uh, the very first section. Um, page 4 is where we finished up, I guess, the beginning of verse 5. We're going to be, um, no, on page 4, number 4. So I guess it would be page 3. Know how to develop convictions is uh, where we're going to to be this morning. And we're, we're talking about the foundational convictions, why we do this. And we kind of, just by way of, of review, and it's probably new for some of you, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, our goal in grace and granted is we want to be strong in the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need spiritual strength that comes through the Word, uh, and then availing ourselves of the graces that God has provided, and we need grace. It, it's not just you know, uh, hairy man kind of strength. We, we need the grace of, of God. And um, so we do that gathering together. We look to the Word. Um, and, and we want to, uh, to help men build a stronger commitment to the bride of Christ, not a curriculum or not a men's ministry or program. Uh, we're all about the church. And, um, and so that's what we're, uh, we're working on. So we're going to uh, turn to number four in just a minute, but we're going to show you a video. This one's about four and a half minutes long. Many of you have seen it before. I've shown it to you uh, before, Um, but it is about the precious nature of the Bible, and every single time I watch it, I watched it again this last week in preparation, um, it just just thrills my soul. And um, so we're going to watch it, and then we're going to get after number four here. reality blows me away every time I stop to think about it. Pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me everywhere I go, read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, What do we see? We see God himself in this book. We meet him here or we don't meet him, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. That's not always what we see and feel when we open our Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look, and all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. But it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world the lasting world, the better world. And through this window shines a divine light that changes everything around us. We all know that the road to knowing God is not easy. Discipline and resolve are important, but they can carry you only so far. A few days, a week, maybe a month, For the long run, we need something stronger, more compelling than discipline and resolve. There are too many traps along the path, too many hurdles. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, life when we see that leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window. The boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, leave it shut, and move on. We stay in bed, 
and we miss the miracle. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, loves to speak light into hearts and minds. God wrote a book, and with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls. He frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged, guides the confused. He empowers us to make our lives count for his cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words, his words. So will I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go? How else will I know him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy him forever? Yes, I'll spend the rest of my life looking out of this window, watching, waiting for another sight of him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God. was when he talked about the fellowship that he had um, with, with Christ. And, and going back to realizing he had fellowship with the law on a daily basis. He's trafficking in the law. He's doing all of these things. And not a single activity that he was doing, even as zealous as he was, even as perfectly as a Pharisee he kept the law, not a single activity could, could create that, that, that fellowship, that, that communion, that union that, that, he was, that he was talking about because something external can't create holy desires. And yet once that, that engine has been, has been granted to you, you have a new heart, um, we feed from the Bible. Um, it, it stirs us. It, it is a window. Um, the Bible rightly interprets reality. We look through it to understand life, and we look through it to understand what what is to to come. And and there's this weird thing that 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 goes on with the scriptures. While while the reason, like Piper just said, the reason that we don't read the Bible is because we don't want to read the Bible. Um, there's this aspect of, of you go to the scriptures and you begin to read it and it feels dead and it feels cold and it feels lifeless and there's no excuse for not reading the Bible. You know, we do what we want to do. It comes from our desires. When you begin to read the Bible as a believer, those desires, those holy passions begin to, begin to flame up. Um, and so what do you do whenever you don't want to read the Bible? You read the Bible um, because reading the Bible actually is what stirs up those passions. And if you understand that this is where you meet God, like this is his voice. I mean, every Sunday whenever I come in, there's this, there's this, this, this holy awe and, and, and weight and, and reality that, that this is not a sermon, this is not you know, what, what I'm going to share, like literally, literally, to the extent, whoever is standing there, to the extent that they, they accurately interpret the, the written text, God is speaking. And even again, like we saw last Sunday, when God speaks, stuff happens. I mean, He, he created the world. By his voice, he spoke it into existence. And it's no mistake that the gospel, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, that God is recreating or creating a people for, for Christ 
through that same speaking. But it's not speaking my words, it's speaking you know, his words. And so God wrote a book. And, and in that book, you're, you'll meet him. And um, that's what I just described to you is a conviction. It's, it's something that, that I'm willing to die for, that you're willing to die for. Well, what do I mean by willing to die for it? You know, if someone came in here today and, you know, with a gun and put it to my head and said, deny the Bible or, or, um, or, or you're going to die. You know, well, I hope that, that, that I would say there's no way that I, I could do that. The likelihood of that happening is, is probably slim. Um, so what do I mean by giving my life? I mean day in and day out, I live for the purposes of Scripture. It governs my life. It, it convicts me. It convinces me of what is right and what is wrong. Um, it drives me to change my behavior. It, it moves me to, to do things. That's a conviction. It's something that, 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 that it's a core, it's a, it's a, it's a tent peg, it's, it, it's a well-driven nail, um, it's a goad, like, like Solomon said at the end of the, the book of Ecclesiastes. You remember the very end of Ecclesiastes, he says, everything that I've been telling you comes from the shepherd. I mean, these are his words. That's how we know that Ecclesiastes is not just some rambling of the black, backslidden uh, Solomon because his wives led him astray. I mean, he, he says, these are the words of the shepherd, and, um, and I'm, I'm doing all these things to, as, a, as a goad and a well-driven driven nail. That's a conviction, something that, that, that prods you along, that moves you in a direction, and, and it's just you, you strike it over and over and over, and it just sinks down in your soul um, like, uh, like something with, with barbs. And so men of, of, of grace... And men that have spiritual strength, um, they know how to help others develop convictions. I mean, you have to have convictions yourself um, in order to help others develop convictions. And convictions are beliefs which drive your life and for which you would die if uh, circumstances uh, demanded. I was watching um, uh, something. I don't know. It was it was this past week, and they were talking about a political candidate, and and they asked this person, with all of this misbehavior, with all of these you know um, you know misspeaks and all of these other things, why do you listen to this guy? Why do you follow this guy? And this woman just innocently looked in the camera and said, because he's real. And there's something that about authenticity that that people are attracted to, or to say it the on the on the flip side, um, people hate hypocrites. Isn't that what you think of when you think of a politician, somebody who says one thing and does another? Isn't that just there's something repulsive about that? Even the world says they hate hypocrites in the church, even though they're hypocrites themselves. They think that they're pretty good, pretty good people. Um, a, a conviction is 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 something that, that there's no hypocrisy about. You really believe it. You don't just say it. You don't just do it because others do it. Like, you own it. It's, it's yours. And you have them, whether you realize it you know, or, or not. There are core convictions, convictions that drive your life, convictions that you make, you make decisions by. You want your convictions to be informed by, by the Bible. And you make little disciples of, the, of your convictions. Whatever you believe really strongly, you're probably going to be attracted to other people that believe that very strongly, and you're going to try to make convictions. You remember, uh, make, make disciples of your convictions. You remember what Jesus said to, you know, to the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees? He said, you make, you make your disciples twice the sons of hell as, as you are. It's a, it's a parenting principle that you have to be careful of. Whatever you are, your kids will be, will be you know, twice. Sometimes they go in the opposite direction. Um, but biblical convictions, you're called to have and you're called to, to, make, to, to, to make disciples of, of others. So take my conviction, the Bible is sufficient. What does that mean? It, it means that Sunday after Sunday I labor not to give you my opinion, but exactly what the Bible says. Um, 
That's why we do what we do. The Marian martyrs. If you want to read something that will stir your soul, read J.C. Ryle's, uh, you know, the five English reformers, five little vignettes of, the, of martyrs that died during the reign of Bloody Mary, and they died over communion. They, 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 they literally died over the practice of communion. Um, being uh, the, what was being brought, the, the, tra- the tapestries of popery being brought back into the, in, into the church. And, and it wasn't that, um, it, it wasn't just the practice. They understood what the underpinnings were. They understood what this meant. Um, transubstantiation, that, that in, in Catholicism, that the, the, the heretical belief that, that Jesus is re-sacrificed over and over and over every time the Mass is done. I mean, you realize that in Catholicism, the reason that Jesus is on the cross in the Catholic crucifix is because he's a perpetual sacrifice. It wasn't that he died once for all, as Hebrews says. Every time the Mass is, is pronounced... The, the priest has the authority. When he, when he announces the Mass in Latin, he, according to Catholic dogma, he literally commands Christ to come down from his throne of he- on heaven and be re-sacrificed on a Roman altar. Now, if that doesn't make you want to rent your, 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 your garment like, like, like the Pharisees in, in a good way, I don't know what does. I mean, it, it, it attacks the sufficiency of Christ's, of Christ's death um, and the Marian martyrs understood that. And they literally died for, to keep that practice from coming back in the church. And, and, and they were saying, look, you don't have to believe that. Just, just don't, don't preach against it. That's a conviction. Um, again, you're probably not going to have somebody put a gun to your head. Um, but you may have somebody at, at, at work challenge you to compromise your, for you to compromise your, your conviction. And you're going to be put in the throes of, you know, wow, I mean, this, I mean, I've got a family to feed. I, I've got these to say, I've got to think about this. I've got to think about that. And you're, you're going to be challenged to, to compromise your convictions. It's also why it's very important that your convictions are biblical, <laughs> you know, because if, if they're not biblical, then, then you can make a really dumb decision. But if they are biblical, um, then that's, that's a hill. It's a hill on which you, you, you're willing to, to, to die on. Doctrines, convictions, and, and then you know, preferences. Doctrines are, are, are unchangeable. They're, they're from the, the scriptures. That is the category that I would put heresy in. If you believe this, it will damn your soul. Okay? That's heresy. I know the general term is for error in general. But I reserve that word for, for something serious. Then there are these convictions that obviously come from, from those, those doctrines. Uh, and then there's the preferences which can move about as you attempt to apply the principles of, of scriptures, keep those, keep those in order. How do you develop convictions? Look at B. The longer you confront your inner thoughts with truth and yield to it, the more the mind of Christ will become the foundation and fruit of your convictions. The longer you confront your inner thoughts with truth and yield to it. Um, anytime, can you think of a time whenever you you were in sin as a believer? Um, did you have a desire to be around truth? Did you really long to get up on Sunday morning and come and listen to preaching? Um you want to go away from the light. You don't want to run you know, to, the, to the light. And, and the longer that you set under truth and it, it confronts your inner thoughts and then you yield to it. You don't just like let it go over your head. Think of our example of Al Mohler last week talking about you listening to preaching. It's like a catcher. You're waiting on it rather than sitting in the stands. You're, you're anticipating God to speak. The longer that you strike whatever that issue is, whatever that sin is, whatever that weak area is, when you, you, you know, the hammer blow on the tent peg is the truth. 
the longer that you do that, the deeper it's driven into your life. The Bible tells us the same thing over and over and over and over because we need it, uh, we need it repeated. Um, biblical convictions can cost you things. Um, it'll cost your, your reputation with friends, your influence, and family uh, relationships. But like Peter, we say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of, of eternal life. That's a, that's a conviction. Um, and convictions help you take stands and have courage in, in hard seasons. To be convinced is to be convicted. You know, the, the King James talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to, is to con- convict men of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. What does the word convict mean? It means to be convinced, to be thoroughly convinced of something. You're not wishy-washy about it. There, you know that this is true. Obviously, in salvation, then whether you yield to it or not is a, is a completely different question. But you're convinced of your sin. You're convinced of the righteousness that you lack and the righteousness that Christ provides. And, and then you're convinced of the judgment that's, that's coming. Convictions are something that you're convinced of. And, and they'll help you take stands and, and have courage in, in hard seasons. And um, they're the things that you've learned the things that you've been convinced of, 2 Timothy 2, 3, uh, 14. If you don't have a conviction before the wind blows, you're going to be, you're going to be knocked over. Um, you need them, and you, uh, they are like the tent pegs in the well. Driven nails, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to develop convictions and doing that, uh, doing that uh, together. If you would, at number five... Um, we need to know how to develop convictions and know how to develop them in others. We also need to have the right perspective of, of ourself, ourselves. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, one says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. I mean, if I would summarize number five here, it's, it's, it's don't think too highly of yourself. Um, know that God can for His greater glory, minimize or maximize our usefulness at any time. Um, How do you do that? You you, you regard yourself in a proper manner, that you're nothing more than a a servant of Christ. Um, There are moments when the Lord puts His hand on a person or on a church or, or on a missionary or on a ministry... And, and it just seems like fruit is flowing. It's just growing. And, and in those moments, it feels wonderful. I mean, it, it feels great. It's, and, and in those moments, that's when there's a temptation to think that the reason this is happening has something to do with you. Oh, I mean, I know it's God. I know it's Christ. I know it's His Word. But, but I'm being faithful. And, and the minute that you start down that road, you're toast. You're, you're already... You're already in the in the wrong wrong place. God, for His purposes, can choose to bring revival. He can choose to grow a church. He can He can choose to to bless a ministry in in that way. And then there are other seasons where you are doing the exact same thing. There's no sin in your life. There's no there's no deep sin in the church, and and it just feels like you're swimming in concrete. To use a phrase, I. I do on a regular basis. And that's in the Lord's providence. You can't manufacture revival. You can't manufacture growth. In fact, if you try to, you're going to grow a mushroom rather than an oak tree. And a mushroom grows in manure. And an oak tree is what you want. That's a, that's a West Virginia summary of 1 Corinthians 3. Be careful with the material that you build with. You can... You can you can grow a mushroom, and there are a lot of churches, a lot of ministries that just that, that, that have ballooned up 
but there's really no substance. There's no roots that are there. Why does God do that? I have no idea. That's His prerogative. It's His church. It's, it's His ministry. He, he can choose to bless and, and, and bring peace and, and bring grace and bring blessing in that way, or He can bring a, a time of leanness. And in those moments, that's when you have to have the conviction that God is sovereign and it's His church and and, and, and you, you, know, you just keep doing what you're doing or you're going to be tempted to, to pick up gimmicks or you're going to be tempted to go away from this or that. And, and when things get lean and when they get hard, that's when the, you know, the voices start, well, maybe we should do this and, you know, and, and, and why do we have to preach so long or maybe we need a little bit more application. And, and, then, and if you don't have those convictions, then you're going to be, you're going to be tempted. Why does God do that? Because He's God. He knows exactly what we need. He knows what a church needs. I mean, we can trust Him in those times. Um, we can trust Him whenever the, the blessings come, and we can trust Him whenever the, the minimization happens. Are you okay if God minimizes you? Are you okay that if He does that for uh, an extended period of time? Um, are you okay if he maximizes your ministry? Will that cause you to stumble or cause you to cause you to fall? Um, nobody's immune to those those temptations. But you know that for his greater glory, and if it's for his greater glory, then it's for your good. Can minimize or maximize our usefulness at any time. Um, and then I've written down here Spurgeon's. Quote, Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. If he charges you falsely at some point, yet be satisfied, for if he knew you better, he might change the accusation and you would be no gainer by the correction. If you have a moral portrait painted and it's ugly, be satisfied. For it only needs a few blacker touches to be closer to the truth. To the top of page four, we should never take ourselves too seriously. We are merely slaves who believe and stewards of what belongs to God. Luke seventeen ten, First Corinthians four, unworthy slaves. Seventeen ten, First Corinthians four. We're stewards. We're not owners. And we should realize that God is the ultimate examiner of our motives. Paul says in that passage in 1 Corinthians 4, it's a small thing what the Corinthians think of me. Um, because I, I know of nothing in my own heart, but just because I know nothing in my own heart, that doesn't mean that, that, that I'm excused by that. Even my motives will be revealed on the, you know, on the last day. God's the ultimate examiner of, uh, of motives. So have a right perspective of yourself. And I think that hand in hand, you have a right perspective of longevity. Um, teach others to stay at it. Be faithful for the long term. Go back to our oak tree and our mushroom uh, you know, idea. Don't fall for fads or gimmicks. Don't believe Satan's lie concerning perceived influence. Stay away from the love of money that 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 can come with with influence. Um, don't be a shooting star that others gaze at. Desire to be a freight train, steam locomotive that builds runs on tracks, and just grows in, in, in intensity. Um, a shooting star might be fun to look at, but if you've ever seen one in the middle of the night, they start, and then they're gone. Um, and if you've ever thought of the concept of standing in front of a, a full force motoring down the tracks locomotive, you... You know that's something to get out of the way of, but it didn't. It didn't go there quickly. Um, it took some time to build up. Men that God have you, has used in church history. You know, I teach church history, historical theology. If you look throughout church history, there are two uh, commonalities to people um, that that God used greatly, 
and that are still having an impact on, on people today. There, there, there are only two. Um, number one, they're rooted in the Word. The reason that people are still reading John Calvin today is not because his five points of whatever theology. It's because he was an expositor. All he did was exposit the, the Scriptures the reason that people are still wanting to listen to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones today is because of the, the depth that's there. Have you ever listened to Lloyd-Jones? I mean, you want to I mean, you want to talk the opposite of what of what a millennial would want. And yet people are attracted, you know, to that. Their their ministries are rooted in the word. And the second thing is they they had longevity. They did the same thing over and over and over and over for a long period of time. In one place. The reason that people will still be reading John MacArthur's commentaries 50 years after he's dead is because they're nothing but the Word. The reason that you can go to Grace to You and download a message from 1988 and it sounds like he preached it yesterday, except he's about two times faster than he is, is because it's nothing but the Word. I mean, because that's what's transcendent. You're not. You come and go. Um, but the Word remains. So, Honor longevity. Um, Jim Alley stood in the pulpit behind me, not in this one. This was this predated him, but he was a faithful man here for twenty three years, and there was somebody that came before him. Timberlake's only had nine pastors, if my my memory serves correctly. There's a long tenure in this church of people that that stick and stay, and that's not just for pastors in the pulpits. That's for church members. Um, stick and stay. You'll make a greater impact. Um, don't be a you know. Don't be a, a a rock that's skipping across the surface. Be a boulder that's that's dropped into 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 an area. Um, longevity is a good thing. Teach others to stay at it. Yeah. Well, the fads and the gimmicks of um, of trying to program something. Um, are you talking about in ministry in general or in our own hearts? What was his question? How do you put up with Mark Hager on a regular basis? I think that's what he asked. But I mean, Clay, could you repeat that question? That was for Brent. I was just throwing him a bone early in the morning. Well, I think, you know, it, some of the, the fads and the gimmicks come along with the culture that you're in. So whatever the culture, even the Christian culture, is clamoring for, um, that's a temptation, you know, to, to fall to. Um, I, I mean, one of the obvious temptations that, um, that, uh, that an expositor faces is give me more application. You know, I, I want to know how to fix my marriage. I want to know how to fix my finances. Um, and so uh, compromising uh, in, in the area of, of, of preaching, um, so chasing something like that, um, you know, um, the uh, looking to something other than, uh, other than the truth and the Spirit of God to, uh, to do the work, um, Anything, anything that would fall into either one of you know of, of, of those categories, um, you know, shortcuts. Read this book, and it'll change your life. Um, you know, read the Bible, and it will truly change your life. But you know, it, it changes it one day. You know, one day at a time. Um, uh, thinking that that you can grow apart from the church. Uh, a podcast pastor thinking that, that you know trying to use a gimmick something that's that other than what the methods that God has designed um, there are lots of people that you could listen to and this is not false you know humility or whatever the right word is there's lots of people that you could listen to that will preach better than me I mean we listened to John Piper this morning I listened to a number of guys like that and they're at your fingertips 
And, but, but church and what will bring about sanctification is not listening to a podcast. It's being part of a, of a local church and a local congregation where people are shepherding you. They're speaking the truth to you in the context of, of, of shepherds and pastors that are bringing the word of God to bear and then living it out in front of you. And then iron is sharpening iron. That's what God has designed. You try to short-circuit that process, and you're going to learn a lot of good stuff. And you're probably going to be able to, you know, to, to, to turn a phrase and, and be wowed by, you know, by somebody's abilities. Um, but you're probably not going to grow. Um, you're definitely not going to grow the way God does. So doing it God's way, which, which normally takes, you know, takes, takes time. Um, those are some of the some of the temptations. So, there are some that you've thought of. Yeah, yeah. So I think it changes generation to generation. Um, and I can think, fifteen years ago, it was it was music. You got to change the music to draw the young people. Um, uh, you know, you got to be relevant in order to. You know, people don't people don't want to listen uh, to to long sermons. So you got to you gotta cut your sermon back to 25, 30 minutes because people have an attention span. Whatever it might be, you know, something like that is uh, is 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 the temptation to you know to avoid um, compromise of, of to, with the culture. I, mean, I think one of the things that's that's constantly pervasive is is this underlying idea that if I can just convince the unbelieving world and the culture that Jesus is a nice guy and the church is a nice guy and we're not Bible-thumping bigots and otherwise, that somehow that's going to attract people to Christ, you know, cooperate with the culture in some way. And if I cooperate, cooperate with the culture, then, then that's going to, uh, you know, to open up a door for the gospel. That's bad theology. John 3 says that you and I, as unbelievers, hate the light, don't want to come to the light. You can't make Jesus attractive enough. It doesn't mean that you don't do good and you don't have convictions that, you know, that, that care for others. We're commanded by God you know, to, to do good to all men, especially the brethren. But that's not going to be an evangelistic method that's, you know, that, that's going to win them. So there's a lot of Desire to cooperate. Um, look at number seven. Have a right perspective of influence. What does it mean to be a man of grace and in granite to be used by God? You must not measure influence in the church on a at a superficial level. There's the, the numbers or the perceived influence. Um, influence is not the position that you hold, the people that you serve, or what others say about you. It's, it flows from a godly character. All true spiritual influence flows from a godly character. Here's our verse. Men must have integrity in their hearts. Psalm 15, 1-5. Who may dwell... Those who walk with integrity, those who work righteousness, those who speak the truth in their heart. The force and credibility of a man's influence is directly related to how consistently he strives after godliness. Notice this. When no one else is around. I can't remember who said it, but all you are is who you are alone before God. The Lord knows. I mean, I can come in here and fool you, probably not for an extended period of time, but you can live for a period of time where nobody really knows what's going on in your private life. You can keep up an an external veneer, um, but God knows. And it'll eventually come out. Who you are when no one is watching... But Christ is who you really are. Yeah. Yeah. Repeat that. 
Repeat that. true absolutely true can you think of somebody in your in your Christian walk um, that duped you you really thought that they were a godly guy or something was going on maybe somebody that you weren't really close to maybe somebody that you were followed and all of a sudden that they they were exposed you think of an example of that personal example Well, I would guess the obvious example that's been in the news in the last you know three or four weeks is Jerry Falwell Jr. Whatever's happened there, I have no idea, and surely won't speculate what's what's going on. But there's something going on there, at least what he admitted, and nobody really knows. If you look at First Timothy three, those are character qualities there for an elder. They should be in everybody's life. They must be in an elder's life. Those are marks of faithfulness. They're underground. They're under the surface. Yeah, they, they, they come out in, you know, they come above ground in actions. They start in the heart. And I, I had a seminary professor I've shared with you before that said, gentlemen, pay attention to those, that list. Because uh, almost everything there is, is, in a, is in your private life. And God is gracious. If you have sin in your private life, in secret or alone, you have sin in that area, God is gracious. He's long-suffering, and He'll give you an opportunity to repent of that. Um, But if you don't repent of sin in your private life, He'll bring it public. He'll bring it public. And and that's a lot more embarrassing and and a lot worse than repenting of it up up front. Um, But even that's God's grace, isn't it? I mean, it's God's grace. Don't look at those exposures or otherwise as, you know, as God hating you or being mean to you. Your conscience might be inflamed because you've been in sin and you won't repent of it, but that's God's grace. That's Him showing you that He loves you um, because He's trying to stop you, you know, from going even further. Who you are when no one is watching but Christ is who you really are and nothing more. Integrity means being the same person on the inside that we are on the outside. The minute that I read that, my tendency is to become introspective. I know of nothing before the Lord that is unconfessed, nothing before the Lord that is out of order in my in my life. But I also know what kind of sinner I am. And I also know the unholy desires that are still resident in my unredeemed flesh. Integrity is, is, is not having all of that perfect. I mean, it's acknowledging that sin to God on a regular basis. It, it's, it, it's, it, it's not refusing to confess that. It's to content, it's not, you don't want to continue in that. So don't hear that and think perfection. Integrity is acknowledging your sin. You understand that Christians are the only ones that are actually honest about their sin. We're not less sinners than the unbelieving world. We're the only ones honest about our sin. I mean, we say we are. And that's what it means to live in integrity before God, acknowledging that sin, acknowledging that sin before others, and then turning to Christ, right? First John 2, My little children, not have you that you sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When you do sin, <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. That's integrity, that you run to Christ. You agree. When the devil accuses you, when sin comes in your life, you agree. Yeah, I, I am that and, and more. But, but, Lord, you're not looking to me. You're looking to my advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And all godly character flows from a life of humility and faith. It's not something that you have because you're strong. It comes from humility and faith. Humble yourself. Lower yourself, think less of yourself, and faith, looking to God, looking to God. On page 5, there's a contrast between Matthew 23 and Luke 18. Um, the one jockeying for the chief seats, and then the, the tax collector that 
that looked, wouldn't even look, beat his breast, he was far away, he stood far away, the publican and the sinner. I always remember we deserve nothing, salvation is a gift, and when we see ourselves rightly, we respond rightly. And God uses those who are cultivating particular character qualities. You're growing in your character qualities. God uses the ones that are cult- that's cultivating those on a consistent basis. Look at Isaiah 66.2. He looks to those who are humble, a contrite heart, and who tremble when they learn the truth of His Word. That, that should be the, the attitude of your heart. Genuine humility and faith are measured by faithfulness to Christ, meaning you can tell they're, they're operating in your life. Perseverance and holy striving, loyalty to Christ in all circumstances, trustworthiness and stewardship and serving the Lord. What matters supremely is that men, here's our motto for grace and granite, Know the truth, live the truth, proclaim the truth, and disciple others in the truth. You need to know the truth first, then you need to live it out, then you share it, and you disciple others in it. True biblical ministries are committed to exposition, leadership development, shepherding, discipleship, holy living, and a biblical philosophy of of ministry. Ezra 7.10 must be the the mantra of every man's heart. And the order is deliberate. Study, practice, teach. Study the Word, practice the Word, teach the Word. You study the Word, then you put it into practice in your own life, and then you teach others. Don't teach others before, you know, what what you believe. Teach others what the Bible says. Don't teach others what you're not practicing. And in the development of leadership within the body of Christ, it's God alone who gives influence. And He alone determines the scope and the breadth. Number eight and nine have a grasp of practical ministry. You take self-inventory. You, Where do you serve? How are you serving? Are you involved? Are you encouraging friendships? Are you discipling others? Are you being discipled? Are you in a flow of ministry and ministry life, learning about others' lives? Do you practice or sacrifice your, your time, your energy, your resources? Do you pray? You must be using your gifts. You must be busy serving. Again, just don't lay back. And then be a student. Be a student of the times. Be a student of tested Principles. So as you're listening to these foundational convictions, can you think of somebody in your life that's been this for you? It's had an impact on you? Do you want to share about? I mentioned this past Sunday, my pastor, Pastor Joe. It's amazing the impact that you can have on another human being. You know that? And Pastor Joe, he never went to seminary. He probably doesn't even have the same theology that I have or the philosophy of ministry that I have. Um, But that man taught me how to walk with God. And he had an impact in my life. He was genuine. He was real. And as I said, I mean, I'm reading Philippians 3. And I can hear his, the cadence of the way that he announced in the King James Bible that I may know him. I mean, he repeated that over and over and over. That's a well-driven nail. Um, It's a life of impact. Can you think of somebody who's done that in your life? Yeah. Yeah, amen. Amen. 
That's good. Other questions or comments about the foundational convictions? Those of you who have heard this before probably don't remember all of it. It's a refresher. You're seeing these things develop in your life. If you listen to something a second time or you go through something a second time, it's the opportunity to evaluate. Hey, I heard this a year and a half ago. Realize that? A year and a half. And I listened to it then. And I thought, man, that's really good. That's really helpful. That's really biblical. It's a year and a half later. What's happened between that time? How many, how many strikes of the hammer have you, have you put on the, the tent peg there? Is there an area that you're, that you're hearing this morning that you go, wow, there hasn't been a lot of growth in that area? I haven't even thought about that. Or, man, I'm really encouraged. This is something that, that I've been... I've been working on that God's been you know, putting in my life. Um, if you ever get discouraged about where you're at, you know, growth-wise, a lot of times we take we take too small of a you know of an area in your life. So you want to think, oh, so discouraged. You know, our, God hasn't done anything in my life over the uh, lately. And what you mean is in the past week, right? Go six months. Go a year. Go back to wherever you'll hit bedrock, you know. When was the last time that, that, that you know, you can really think of the Lord doing something in your life, starting a, you know, working life? Obviously, if you get back too far, that's a problem. You know, but, but take, a, take a bigger bite. Remember, it's a, it's a freight train. It's not a shooting star. Think of sanctification like rain that, that falls on, on the ground of your heart and raises the water table. You know, don't think of sanctification like drilling an oil well where you come in on Sunday and the preacher drills in your heart and you know. Those times happen. But normal sanctification is you sit under the truth, you sit under the truth, and God transforms you by the truth, and it's slow and it's methodical, but it sticks and it stays. And that's the kind of life that brings stability um, that you can influence others. And it just happens. Uh, in the church, you know, through the truth. it's so, good. Other thoughts or comments? Well, I appreciate you men. You challenge my soul every morning. I love uh, spending time with you. So let me pray for you before we launch you today. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of a lot of things that we already know presenting it to us again and fresh again. I pray that it would just be another another strike, um, more downward force from, from the hammer. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the transforming power that He has in our lives to, to make us like Christ. And I thank you for these men. I thank you for their, their pursuit of you, their hunger for you. Thank you for them getting out of bed and coming here today. And I, I just praise you for the encouragement and the, the sharpening that they are in my own life. And I pray you'll bless them today as they go out, preserve them, protect them, help them to be men of Psalm 15, guard them from the evil one, keep them from being overwhelmed by temptation. Let them be forgiving men. that forgives the, the debts of others as, as you have forgiven them. Let them be men that, that their hearts cry out for your kingdom to come and that your will is done in their hearts here on earth the same way it's done in heaven, instantly, obediently. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.